Are you recording it now? Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. It was like just taking a gulp of watermelon. Yeah, so this is watermelon, sugar, and rum. That's all it is? Yeah. It's supposed to have lime juice, but somebody forgot to pick up limes at the grocery store. Wait a second. So it's like how... So it's watermelon, like crushed watermelon? Oh, that's what you were crushing in the thing earlier. Yeah. And let's talk about the fancy giant ball of ice. I know. There's a fancy giant ball of ice. Okay, I gotta try another sip of this. I know I couldn't really taste it because I was too busy pulling. Oh, I like my it. Mouth. It tastes like I'm just drinking liquid watermelon, which is delightful. I can't not get seeds. <laughs> I'm gonna grab a straw. <laughs> you got this. You got this, baby girl. Uh, well, welcome to another week. We don't have any straws down there. Yeah, because you're trying to save the turtles, Emily. No, but remember we have those bamboo ones. Oh, you you legit have bamboo straws. Yeah. Well, good for you. Um, welcome to another week of lightweight true crime. We were yes, just going through so. our Instagram followers. <laughs> we have 34 Instagram followers as of RN feeling it's like crazy. a big deal. And it's, three of them, we don't know. And three of them, we do not personally know IRL as the kids say, Yeah, which is pretty exciting. Um, also as we were preparing to start this podcast this evening, our executive producer, Ryan, went on a bit of a rant to us about, because we were talking about how excited we were to tell each other our murder stories uh-huh. this week. And Ryan was like, this is true crime. Why can't you guys ever talk about like embezzling money? Or, or jaywalking. Or jaywalking. Why? You should just rename the podcast like someone gets molested or murdered, <laughs> which I understand his point. Yeah. But. Um, we'll get there. I mean, will we though? Maybe. I just feel like. Ryan's delicate sensibilities can't handle the mayhem that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Yeah, I told him that if he doesn't want to do this, he can hire somebody to do it in his place. <laughs> and he can pay for it um, out of his own money. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. What a good husband. Yeah. Something he could not have foreseen when he made his vows to you. I know. That's Too late to take it back. Too late to take it back. All right. Well, I'm excited to drink this watermelony goodness. Yeah. I don't know... I don't know which one of us is supposed to go. Do we care? I don't think it matters. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. Tell me a story, Em. Okay. So, this is the story of Amber Tuckero. Amber Tuckero? Or Takaro. Okay. Cool. I've heard it both ways. All right. I like Takaro. Takaro. So, Amber Takaro is a member of the Mi- Mikisu Cree First Nation in Canada. My story is about an American Indian, too. No way. <laughs> And it's also Thanksgiving it's, this week. Oh my gosh, it is. And we didn't even talk about this. Okay, okay, keep going. Okay, so I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing, you know what, no. I'm pretty sure I'm not pronouncing it right. That's but a fair assessment. I've heard it pronounced Mikisu, okay. Cree First Nation. Um, so she was 20 years old in 2010 when this happens, and she has a 14-month-old son. Okay. So she lives um, in 
Alberta with her mom and her son. And she takes a trip from Alberta to Edmonton, which is like a 55-minute plane ride. Um, And she goes there with a female friend who is unnamed. Um, And so the three of them land in Edmonton, and then they they go to the... the Nisku Palace Motel and they check into a room. And it's not really clear why they're there, um, but the next day, Amber puts her son to bed and then she's like, okay, I'm going to go into the city and has her friend just like watch her son for whatever reason. Maybe the friend wasn't feeling good and didn't want to go into the city and Amber was like, I'm still going to go anyways. Who knows? So... um, Her friend says that she sees Amber get into a car in the motel's parking lot sometime between 7 and 8 p.m. And it's not clear if it was a cab or if she just got a ride with some random person. And then around um, the next morning, I don't know, I don't know what time, um, she doesn't return her mom's texts. And that's like super strange. So the mom calls Um, the police and wants to report her missing and they say no you have to wait 24 hours plus she's 20 she's probably just out partying and didn't text you back that's not weird and her mom is like no I know my daughter she texts me every single day we live together and also she left her kid with a friend like that's not normal behavior so they make her wait 24 hours to report her missing and then um, she reports her missing and they don't like really do much in terms of investigation and then three weeks later um her the mother's fear increases but rcmp releases a statement rcmp is the royal canadian mounted police the mounties um they release a statement saying we have no reason to believe that she's in any danger she's probably just you know we know she's in edmonton how could you know how could you know exactly yeah Like, no disrespect to the RCMP, but how could you possibly know that? Also, she's been missing for three weeks. Three weeks and left her small child behind? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then a month after she's been reported missing, they remove her from the missing persons database, which is, like, pretty sure they're not supposed to do that. Unless Um, she's been found? Right, exactly. (laughs) Unless they've been found and she hasn't been found. And then nine months after that, they destroy all of her belongings that they had in evidence. What? Yeah. So they didn't like even contact the family to see if like, oh, do you want these things? So everything that was in the motel room that belonged to Amber, they just destroyed it. Okay. Yeah. That seems shady as hell. Super sketchy. And so that was 2010. And then, so two years later, in 2012, the RCMP releases released this 61-second clip of a phone call that Amber's on. Um, and the whole phone call is 17 minutes long, but they only, like, release this 61 seconds of it. Um, and this call happened when she was in the car. So... In the car that she got into yeah. in the hotel parking lot. Yeah. Okay. So... In the 61 seconds, you can hear her, like, talking to the driver, saying, like, where are we going? Is it, like, like an Uber, or she got into a car with someone she knew, or... um, They think she was either hitchhiking or got into a cab. So, it wasn't really an Uber. I don't even know if there were Ubers in 2010, but... I don't think there um, were. Yeah, so it wasn't, like... Like, nobody got, like, the license plate number or the taxi license or anything like that. Um, 
And so she's on the phone and she's asking the driver, like, where are we? Like, and he keeps saying, like, oh, we're going east, like, whatever, random things. And they're, like, on these dirt roads. And she's like, aren't we supposed to be on a highway to go into the city? And he's like, oh, no, this is faster. And so what the phone call was is her brother was incarcerated at the Edmonton Remand Center. And he calls her from the prison at, like, 730. And all of those calls are recorded. So he called her cell phone yeah. and that this is what was overheard. Yeah. Okay. So she must have answered, but like kept it down. Well, I think that she, I think that the guy driving knew she was on the phone oh. because she would be like, Hey, what, what road are we on? Where are we heading? And he'd be like, Oh, we're heading East towards 50th. And she'd repeat like, we're East okay. towards 50th. Yeah. So, so she knew she was in trouble. Yeah. She, so yeah, she kind of knew she was in trouble, but the guy who was driving, like, had to have known she was on the phone, too. Right, so he could have been telling her the wrong stuff. Yeah. But she obviously was like, someone else needs to know this. Yeah, and at one point he does say, like, we're heading south, I mean north. You can, like, see it kind of catches himself. Like, yeah. he wants whoever is on the other line to think that they're going somewhere else. Um, and so you can, like, really clearly hear the guy's voice, and you can find it online um, if you are from the Edmonton area, everybody says you need to hear it so that you can try and identify who it is. Um, If you just like Google Amber Takaro, it'll come up. Um, And so after the RCMP release that um, clip, three women come forward saying, it's this guy, I know for sure. And they all say the same guy. But immediately the RCMP are like, no, it's not him. Like, just like, don't believe these women, don't even really look into it, just totally like disregard it. Um, And then four days later, they end up finding some bones and a skull. After they release the phone call? Four days after they release the phone call. And And it's been two years. And it's been two years since she's been missing. Why did it take two years for the phone call to be released? I don't know. Did they? They had it the whole time. They had it the whole time. Yeah. They had it the whole time. They had it even when they took her off the missing persons list? I don't know. Okay. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And people are like, this is nuts that like the second they release this, four days later, they find her body. But everyone says it's just a coincidence and I don't see how it could not be a coincidence because like, I don't know. Yeah. Unless people heard it and went, I think it's that guy and went and searched his property. But the way that they describe how her body was found is just like people were out in that area, like horseback riding. Okay. Um, so the man that they identify, the three women who said like, we know it's this guy. Um, he's this guy who lives on a farm in the area where Amber's remains were found. Um, and he frequently employs in quotes young girls on his farm um and it's in quotes because he'll tell them i'll give you free lodging and food if you like do work around my farm and they're like yeah this sounds great and then they go there and he ends up being like super weird like the one bathroom in the house has a door that leads into his bedroom that can't be locked and so he'll like spy on them in the bathroom one girl reports that he would like choke her randomly. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I come from a long line of lady farmers, uh-huh. but so not saying that like women can't be farm hands. Right. But I feel like if you're a man living alone in need of farm hands, the best thing to do for propriety's sake mm-hmm. and just like statistically speaking about people's like upper upper yeah. body strength uh like you should be looking for man help yeah but okay exactly yeah um and there were a couple couples who he actually recruited okay so he would get like a husband and wife or a girlfriend and boyfriend who would come and live there and one husband and wife reported that he kept trying to get them to like commit to staying forever he'd be like oh this is yeah (laughs) listen i don't know what you're doing for the rest of always but But i feel like this is a good fit yeah yeah he's like you can raise your kids here we'll have christmas here together no 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 and um i found this story on reddit and it was the wife who like told this story and she says that like eventually when they realized that they had to like gtfo yeah she they had booked a flight and then she had said like there's a family emergency like can you please take us to the airport right now we have to like go back and like she said she's pretty sure that he knew she was lying yeah because when he drops her off at the airport he was like if you want to come back like just call me and i'll pay for your flights to come back and she was like nope 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 so this guy's super sketchy. He also has like a bunch of really weird videotapes just laying around of um, Japanese girls flexing. Yeah. You know, as that's one does. This, whatever the next level up from red flag is, yeah. that's what that is. Yeah, it's like a yeah. black flag. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like at the beaches when the surf is really dangerous. Yes. It's a black ball flag. Yeah, threat level black flag. Yeah. Um, so the three women are like super adamant that that's his voice. But there are also some girls who have lived there with him and say that they don't think it's his voice. So that could be why the cops are like, no, it's probably not him is because there are some people who are saying it doesn't sound like his voice. So um, some people theorize that Amber's murder is related to these other four murders in the area, but they were like a lot earlier so it's these four women who were murdered between 2002 and 2004 so um it's edna bernard and she was last seen september 22nd 2002 and katie silva ballantyne was last seen april 28th 2003 Corey ottenbright i think that's how you say it was last seen may 9th 2004 and then dolores brower was last seen may 15th 2004 um, and the guy who um, owns this farm and is like luring girls to, I'm not saying his name on purpose because sure. he hasn't been convicted or anything. Okay. So this Mr. Farm Allegedly guy. Allegedly luring. But exactly. For reals, whatever. Luring. Um, was in jail until 2002 um, oh. for assault. Okay. So he was originally charged with like sexual assault and ended up like sexual domestic assault or something. What I, I couldn't find a ton of information on it. It sounded like it was one of the girls who lived at his house reported something. Okay. And he ended up pleading down to just regular assault. So like without the like sexual connotation. Um, so coincidence maybe maybe not he could be related to these other cases because he gets out of jail right when the other four start happening okay so he was out of jail in time yeah okay 
And um, they're like a bunch of these girls who, ooh, ooh. I wonder if you can hear the train. Is probably. Um, so a bunch of these girls who lived on the farm with him said that they'd like go into town or they'd go into the city and he'd drive by a pretty girl and say like, oh, jump out of the car and convince her to come live with us. Oh. We live on a train track. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding the you. The house is in the middle of the train of the tracks. the train tracks. Yep. The house is shaking right now, though. This is fun. This is super cool. That hasn't happened while we were I recording know. before. Real life. Real life. So he has been known to, like, get out of, like, I can't talk. I can't words right now. (laughs) I can't words right now. This guy has been known to lure girls into his car. Sure. Or at least try. Probably for, you know, only, only with a noblest intention. Exactly. And there are some people who like, because I like went down a Reddit rabbit hole on this guy. There are some people who are like, I lived there. He never did anything weird, but he's just like awkward. He's like in his sixties. So there's people who are like, He's just, like, not very socialized. He's lived on this farm by himself forever. And, like, like people want to give him the best intentions. But at the same time, it's really hard when you know he's been in jail. Not when you're choking people randomly. Not when you have weird flex porn. Like, not when you're luring girls into your car. Like, that's just willful suspension of disbelief at that point. Or belief. Yeah, that's just, no. No. Yeah. So they still haven't figured out what happened to Amber Takaro. They haven't released any like cause of death or anything. Um, They haven't released any more of that phone call. Her brother obviously knows what's on the other end of that phone call. Um, The RCMP know what's on the other end of that phone call. Um, But a lot of people say that like, a lot of the people who have like identified the voice and aren't believed are like indigenous women who come from yeah. lower income areas. Yeah. So there's a lot of suspicion in that. And the RCMP has like made a public apology to the family saying like, yeah, we messed up. Like it's, that's not best practice to like take people off of the missing people's database and destroy evidence. But the family is like, yeah, that's not good enough. We don't want you to, like, apologize to us through a press conference. Like, we want you to figure out what happened to our daughter. So it's still kind of up in the air. It's still kind of a mystery. But that's... Wow. You know, in a nutshell, that's Amber Takaro's murder. Wow. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, because going so far as to destroy all the evidence and remove someone from a missing persons list feels... Not just like, oh, we messed up, but it feels like... We're hiding something. Yeah. Yeah, which, like, there's no theories anywhere about RCMP even being involved in it. Sure. And I don't think they are, but it's just like, you had, like, what, you couldn't spare the one shelf that that box of evidence was collecting dust on? Mm. I don't know. Amber Takaro. Yeah. Yeah, really can't believe that you and I both... I know. Um, and mine is a First Nations woman, so a Canadian, nice. um, uh, not Native American, but a First yeah. Nations uh, Aboriginal woman. Wow. I know. And 
on Thanksgiving week. And on Thanksgiving week. It won't be Thanksgiving week when this gets released, but it's Thanksgiving week for us yeah. now. Wow. Must just be on our minds. Well, and also I was looking at all mine. I was like, because the people that you first think of, I think of when terrible tragedies, like the ones that we talk about are people that resemble you or people mm. who you can see yourself in are yeah. the ones you like immediately gravitate to. And I was thinking to myself that pretty much all the mysteries or murders I've talked about have to do with white women yeah. and like white women of a cer- certain like social class. Yeah. Um, and so just on a subconscious level. And yeah. so I was like, I need to, when women of color are like by and large, like more likely to be victims of, yeah. um, of violent crimes and particularly like native women yeah. in particular. Um, have you ever watched a show Longmire on Netflix? No, but I've like seen the banner for it. It's really good. I love it. It's about a small town in Wyoming and it's about the sheriff and his best friend and the sheriff is white and the best friend is native American. And it's not this weird, like, Oh look, racial reconciliation. Yeah. Everything's fine. Kind of friendship. It's like showing the real issues mm-hmm. of that community. And like, I feel like it represents the native community really beautifully. And they like masterfully weave in like the very real issues facing native women in particular into this show. Yeah. Um, which caused me to then, cause there's a, um, there's an Indian reservation like pretty close to my house in Oregon where I grew up between my town and the coast and like caused me to like be like, what's, what's that reservations deal? Yeah. And like, what, what are the plight of women who live on that reservation? Yeah. And like, I, I didn't even know that my County that I grew up in Yamhill County is the tribe that lived on that land before wow. it was colonized. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a lot of things that we don't, think about or yeah. see like the the missing and murdered indigenous women like that number is so high and yet like we never hear about yeah. it on the news and there was a movie i think i watched it on netflix i don't know what it's called so i'm this is terrible it was really great it's got jeremy renner in it fantastic um and i think it's based on a true story about a first nations woman in canada who was murdered and it's like Jeremy Renner's daughter's best friend or something. And they like show this crazy statistic at the end of like, like most first nations, like women who go missing or murdered aren't even reported. And then like the majority of the ones that even are, are never investigated. And it is like just nuts. I, yeah, the missing and murdered podcast from the CBC is phenomenal. Is amazing. Both seasons do an incredible job of like bringing to light so so much of that these issues that are going on with First Nations women and Native American women that like I had no idea yeah. were even going on. Yeah. Anyways, who knew that this is going to be the theme of our I show? Know. Not us. We didn't talk about it. Okay. Well, along those lines, I'm going to tell you the story of a name that I'm sure I'm not going to pronounce right, the last name at least, of Anna May Aquash, Aquash, A-Q-U-A-S-H, and a lot of the information that I got was from an, an article in the, New York, in the New York Times Magazine called Who Killed Anna May by Eric Konigsberg. So, wow, that train is just keeps coming it's so past long. here. They're not passenger trains. They have... They're like cargo. Cargo. Yeah. And sometimes they are so long. Seriously. Goodness gracious. Also, it's getting to the point in the night where 
I don't remember if I took my medication this morning. Like I think I did because I have an mm-hmm. alarm that goes off for me to like reminds me to take it because it's one of those things where you know how sometimes you're in the shower and you're like, did I just wash my hair? Yeah. I don't know. Like it's so natural and routine. Yeah. And because I can't tell like if I'm getting the zaps or not. Yeah. Because you know how it takes like, yeah. if you don't take your antidepressants for a certain amount of time, like I'll be fine, but I'm like, mm, that's weird. Why do I, I feel funny. What t- like, for me, it's like at noon. If I haven't taken yeah. them, it's like at noon, I get the zaps. Do you have, is it? It's usually, and I kind of started feeling funny around then, but then I'm like, my alarm went off. I'm sure I went to take it. Yeah. But, and also I don't want to double up if right. I didn't because I take as high as is medically recommended yeah. um, of, of the old happy serotonin making pills. And because I won't like, it won't hurt me if I wait until tomorrow morning and yeah. I didn't take it, yeah, but it yesterday morning. You you- but right if I doubled up. So, hmm, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I don't know, I haven't started my period yet and I just, oh. I need that to happen soon because you know those few days where you're like, why does everything feel dark and awful? <laughs> They're going to say, like, am I pregnant? Am I not? <laughs> I was like, Sarah. <laughs> no, that's, um, not a possibility. Um, but anyway, now that mm-hmm. everyone is... You can cut that out, Ryan. No, he doesn't have to cut it out. Um, it's like in 30 Rock when Alec Baldwin's character says to Tina Fey's character, I now walk away with yet another mosaic in the rich history that is your menstrual life. <laughs> <laughs> that show is so good. Oh, I love that show. Okay, okay back to Who Killed Anime. Yes, anime. So, uh, born in 1945... Anna Mae Aquash was a First Nations ad- activist from Nova Scotia, Canada. In the 1960s, so when she was a young adult, she moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and joined American Indians in their activism work on behalf of First Nation and American Indian peoples. In 1968, uh, her work involved organizing among urban Indians, um, so Native Americans who lived in big cities, initially with the aim of combating police brutality. She was also involved in the teaching and research in Bicultural Education School Project, which is the acronym is TRIBES, um, a program in Bar Bar Harbor, Maine, to teach young American Indians about their history. I love it when acronyms spell something that's like relevant. Yeah. And also, how perfect is that? Teaching and research in bicultural education school project. Yeah. It feels like it's like... It was meant to be. Yeah, like they didn't even have to try. It was absolutely meant to be. So she continued her badass activism work into the 1970s with an organization called AIM, the American Indian Movement, not... um, What was it? What was AIM? AOL Instant Messenger? Yep. What was your AOL handle? Oh, I don't even want (laughs) to... I had two. What were they? One my dad created. It was Katie Cat M. (laughs) And the other one was Space Cat on hold. (laughs) Ryan, what was your aim handle? What? It was Panoy Pride. Ryan's Filipino. Perfect. Wait, but what is Panoy? It means Filipino. Means Filipino. Filipino Filipino Pride. That's lovely. I love those yours. I honestly don't remember. I I spent a lot of hours on aim, but I don't remember. I'm pretty sure mine had a capital X and then a lowercase X <laughs> on both sides also. Oh, my God. Because that was cooler. XX Pinoy Pride. XX. Meant you were tough. Okay, anyway, but we're not talking about AOL Instant Messenger. We're talking about the American Indian Movement, AIM, 
the most visible and radical advocacy group for Native American civil rights in the time. Um, and so she did a lot of work with them in Minnesota, the Dakotas, and Wisconsin. A few of her more notable acts of resistance include the following. On Thanksgiving Day 1970, AIM activists in Boston held a major protest against the Mayflower II celebration at the harbor by boarding and seizing the ship. Nice. In 1972, Anime participated in the Trail of Broken Treaties march of American Indian activists to Washington, D.C. Protesters occupied the Bureau of Indian Affairs National Headquarters and presented a list of 20 demands to the U.S. government, 12 of them dealing with treaty issues. Nice. Then in 1973, Anna Mae traveled to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota to join AIM activists for a 71-day occupation of Wounded Knee. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. it's a long time. It's a long time. And on her first night in South Dakota, AIM organizer Dennis Banks told her that newcomers were needed on kitchen duty. Mr. Banks, she replied, I didn't come here to wash dishes. I came here to fight. Nice. So she's a badass. But on February 24th, 1976, a rancher in South Dakota was installing a fence on land situated along the edge of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation when he spotted a body at the bottom of a 30-foot embankment. The badly decomposed corpse was that of a woman in jeans and a maroon ski jacket, and the coroner later determined that the woman had been dead for more than two months. Oh, my God. Yeah. She had been shot at close range with a single bullet wound at the base of her skull. It would take investigators a week to identify the body as that of Anna May Aquash. Mm. Did nobody, like, notice that she was missing for two months? So her, and it'll kind of get into this in a little further, her life was pretty transitory um, because of her activism yeah. work. Um, so she, because of these protests, was in and out of jail. She was in and out of, like, mm. Indians, uh, Indian activist safe houses. Yeah. Like, it wasn't... That's, okay, yeah. that makes and, sense. And, and it'll get into a little bit more about... Yeah. about that yeah so around this time pine ridge's murder rate and this was crazy to me um pine well i guess the reservation which makes sense because the rates of violence are, yeah. are pretty high so around this time pine ridge's murder rate was the highest in the country um so locals like over like reservations or so now that i read that sentence back i can't tell you if that's like that area in South Dakota or, or in, everywhere in, that, in America. Right. Or if it's talking about the, the Indian reservation specifically or that like era, that area in South Dakota, IDK. Um, either way, either way. So, nuts. right. So locals were not very surprised when Anna May turned up dead. Uh, it was not a stretch to think that she was just another life lost in the fight against a government that for centuries had been warring with native peoples. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, the disdain that local law enforcement uh, showed for American Indian activists was no secret. A man named William Janklow was running for state attorney general in South Dakota around that time and told a newspaper during his campaign, the only way to deal with the Indian problem in South Dakota is to put a gun to aim leaders' heads and pull the trigger. Holy. So there I've, was... Yeah, I had no idea. No idea. I feel like I've heard... Heard that someone at some point said something about like the Indian problem, right. but I don't know if I made that up and that just sounded familiar when you said it, but just such like this man is running for public office and that is something he says. So, so people, so it wasn't very surprising, right? Because she's yeah. a very visible, um, like active activist. And so when initially she turns up dead, um, 
like it's sad, but people are not that surprised for that yeah. era and f- for the type of, not that she deserved it, but like for the type of work that she was yeah. in, people were not surprised. It would be what police call a high risk. Yes. Factor, high risk. Which is stupid. Right. Because no one's lifestyle choices means they deserve to die. So anyway, people are not that surprised. Um, but between the year 1976 when they found her body and the year, oh, so yeah, that's the year of Anna Mae's murder. And 1999, four grand juries took up her case without producing any arrests. That's no, 20 years? Um, that's a little over 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So 23 years. Four different grand juries look into the case. No one is arrested. Oh no gosh. one involved in AIM would talk about it on the record, which was part of the yeah. issue. And the investigation goes cold. Until in the year 2000, a native woman named Darlene Nichols was persuaded to help. So Darlene was Anime's friend um, in her time when she was an activist in the 70s, but she was also weirdly her rival uh, as Anna Mae had been having an affair with Darlene's common-law husband and fellow activist, Dennis Banks, who I quoted earlier. Yeah. Um, in the months <laughs> Who wanted leading- to make her... Do work in the kitchen duty yeah she was like nah and he was like all right how about you sleep with me instead yeah, how about that um so romantic so so darlene was dennis's common-law Got wife it. yeah and they were friends but it was also weird because yeah. anime was having They're like a- we both really want the same thing <laughs> and that's more important than we're also sleeping with the same guy it sounded like a complicated relationship yeah but not not one without like affection yeah right so that's one of many reasons darlene said that investigators questioned why she wanted to get involved in this cold case uh-huh. they're like okay that's weird like were you a part of it you should sure you should have hated this woman yeah um but she said more than anything i just wanted to get to the bottom of it to find out what happened so many people have tried so hard to make it go away so Anna May's friends said that her affair with Dennis Banks caused resentment from a group of militant, mostly Sioux tribe women who called themselves the Pie Patrol. Don't ask me why they call themselves that. I don't know. Like P-I-E? That's what the article said, but there, it, it, it's not lost on me that like there could be some significance to that that we don't yeah. know. Because um, I would like to join the pie I patrol. I would 100% sign me up for the pie if patrol. If it just is like pie eating contest. I'm in. Absolutely. You mean tomorrow? The pie eating contest that is Thanksgiving. We have, we have two pies in our fridge right yeah, now. Yeah, you do. What kind? Apple and pumpkin. Fantastic. Yeah. So, Anime's friends said that her affair with Dennis Banks caused this group of women to resent her uh, because they viewed her as a threat to the stability of the organization. Yeah. So after being arrested at a demonstration um, shortly before her death, Anna Mae and Darlene found themselves in jail together waiting to get bailed out. And Anna told Darlene that she was really scared to be released. She was aware of the animosity some of the other Native activists had towards her and that some people thought that she was actually an FBI informant a rumor that started when she was quickly let go after an earlier arrest while oh, others no. who had been with her stood trial. Right? So you've kind of yeah. got these two factors why she's scared to be released. She knows that there are these like group of women that really don't like her and see her as a threat. And then these rumors have been going around that she's actually working as, yeah. as a government informant. Um, and it was a month later after she and Darlene were yeah. in that cell together that Anna Mae was dead. 
1999, Darlene receives a newspaper clipping about Anna May's case in the mail from her mother, where some AIM members were quoted as saying that people within the organization were responsible for her death. It started to make sense, Darlene said. She began asking friends from Pine Ridge that what they knew and, it, and learned that, quote, for years, everybody had been hearing the same stories about how in the weeks leading up to her death, Anna was staying in a safe house for activists until one night, like two weeks, she's in the same uh-huh. house, the safe house in Denver. A car pulls up to the house. In Denver? Yeah. Okay. Um, so a car pulls up to the house, then another, and then two more, until there was as many as a dozen visitors in the ground floor apartment that was the safe house. Anna left with three people in a red pinto and was never heard from again. Dang. So, so she starts uncovering this information, like after her yeah. mom sends her this article, right? I might have missed this. I thought that they were in like South Dakota. They were, but then like after she got released from jail in South Dakota, she went, she went to the to safe Denver. house in Denver and then her body was found again. In South in Dakota. In South Dakota? Yeah. Okay. So, lots of travel happening here. Yeah. Lots of road travel. So, Darlene decides that it's time to do something, and she contacts a guy she knows from elementary school, a guy named Robert Acoffey, who was the first Native American to be named a federal marshal, which is bananas, yeah. that she went to grade school with him, and says, like, yo, we need to look into these rumors, yeah. like, it's finally time that this case went somewhere. We were on different sides of the fence always, but I trusted him, she said. So the FBI agrees and asks Darlene if she'd be willing to wear a wire. Nice. And so she's given the code name Maverick. And over such a good code name. Right. Like if you're getting a good code name, that's the one you want. And over the next year, she interviews about 10 witnesses and recorded several dozen hours of discussion about anime's final days. Bad. Yeah. Next level. That's incredible. Unlocked. So eventually, Darlene breaks the case wide open with a three-hour recording of a man named Arlo Looking Cloud, a low-level AIM associate who had admitted to friends that he was involved in Anime's death. While she's wearing the wire, Darlene picks him up from a Denver jail and began asking him about the night of Anna's disappearance. Okay. Um, she urges him to cooperate with inve- investigators, and he eventually confesses and agrees to take the stand against another man named John Graham, who was also like a low-level member of the uh-huh. organization, who he said was actually the one who pulled the trigger. Dang. So he confesses to being there, but yeah. says, like, I got I didn't do this it. other guy, John yeah. Graham, who actually pulled the trigger. In his testimony, in Arlo Looking Cloud's testimony, he describes making Anna May march in the early hours of that day into grassland off of South Dakota Highway 73 before putting a pistol to mm-hmm. her head. So the men are both tried and convicted for Anna May's murder, Looking Cloud in 2004 and uh, John Graham in t- 2010. However, prosecutors never believed that Looking Cloud and Graham acted alone. They were both like low level members of this organization and didn't even know Anna before they killed killed her. her. We do feel pretty certain word came to them from high up in the organization. The prosecutor said several witnesses, including looking cloud named a third abductor Theta Nelson Clark, who drove them along with Anna from the safe house to Mm -hmm. the scene of her shooting in her red Pinto. pinto. 
Bam. So, Theta Nelson Clark, who in 1976 was already 51 years old. Oh my gosh. Was a powerful leader in AIM, but she was not, like, she may have been powerful, but she was not well liked. Mm. Um, Aunt Theta was mean, bossy, and obnoxious. Yellowwood, her niece describes. So, lots of power, not yeah. a lot of affection. Looking Cloud testifies that she was the one who handed John Graham the gun to kill anime. And she would have been the one with the juice to, like, yeah. call the shots and say, like, this Let's is what it. needs to happen. But she was never charged with anything related Why? to anime's death. I thought it was a slam dunk, the prosecutor said. But other prosecutors were hesitant to try an 87-year-old woman whose health was in decline and was living in a nursing home. Which, I get that. But also... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So, Clark... Theta Nelson Clark died in October 2011 mm-hmm. at the age of 87. So just after just one year after John Graham yeah. was convicted. And even Clark appeared to have acted at the orders of someone else. Another woman, a former girlfriend of Dennis Banks, right? Anna and uh-huh. Darlene's connected man, yeah. testified in court that she told Clark um, to take Anna, that she was the one who told Clark to take Anna to South Dakota to, quote, be dealt with instructions that she was given from a woman named Thelma Rios. Oh my gosh. An AIM activist in Rapid City, South Dakota. So while the prosecutor's office managed to get a guilty plea from Rios for kidnapping, um, she said she was passing down the order from two other women involved in the organization. So apparently AIM is a matriarchy. Yeah. And ladies are calling the murder shots. I mean, into the matriarchy, right. here not, for the ma- here not for the matriarchy, so the murder. always, but yeah. not for the murder. So, so this woman Thelma Rios um, pleads guilty to kidnapping, and she and she's like, but two other women told me to do it, and the two names were redacted from Rios's mm. plea agreement, but are widely believed to be those of Madonna Thunderhawk and Lorelai Decora. Let's talk about those names. Yeah. Those are some great names. Those are really, really like power names. Yeah. Madonna Thunderhawk and Lorelai Decora. Like I would listen to them. Honest. I would be like, all right. No, I we wouldn't would not murder. We would not murder anyone. But, but those sound like power names. Yeah. So anime's daughters, who are now grown, are not satisfied with only looking cloud and Graham serving time for the yeah. murder of their mother. The people who had my mother killed are still out there, calling themselves defenders of Indian rights and saying her death was a tragedy, Denise Maloney, her oldest daughter, says. She was 11 and her sister was nine the last time they saw Mm. their mother, Anna Mae. But I remember her gait, how her hips flicked when she walked. She smelled like cool menthols, she says. So good. So in 2004, Anna Mae Aquash was returned home to Nova Scotia uh, for a proper burial in her homeland after initially being buried on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation Mm -hmm. in 1976. Her funeral was held on June 21st, 2004, which is National Aboriginal Day in Canada. That's awesome. Family and supporters have held annual anniversary ceremonies in Anna Mae's honor ever since then. One of the most famous quotes attributed uh, to Anime Aquash is this. I'm Indian all the way and always will be. I'm not going to stop fighting until I die. And I hope Mm. I'm a good example of a human being and of my tribe. So that is the story of the death of Anime Aquash. Man. Right? That's a good quote. It's a really beautiful quote. I feel like really captures what she tried to do with her life. And it's now, you know, 
oh my gosh, how many years later is it? Is it four? Is it fifty years later? No, no, it's almost twenty twenty. So okay, it's it's forty three years later still. And like this article is not that old. Like people are still talking about this case. um, Yeah, and like she's still like a really like revered name. In I love that there is like they know what happened. Like I love mysteries. But it's so satisfying when there's such an injustice done and they can give justice as much as they can. And as much as it was like bad ladies calling the murder shots, it was also like a badass woman who was able to deliver, like Darlene Nichols was able to deliver like the amount of justice that these girls could have in the two men who like kidnapped and murdered her, like being behind bars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ooh, that gives me goosebumps just talking about it. Cause I know. females are strong as hell. They are. They really, really are. Oh <sighs> man, those were heavy. I know. But they were good. Ryan, stop telling me what to do. I obviously I'm a seasoned podcast professional. Uh, this is a matriarchy. This is a matriarchy. Ryan. No one asked. Ryan was reminding us to do the detox question. He just faked and like he was he <laughs> threatening to, to cut us off. Um I didn't look up questions. Me either. But I was thinking that our uh, our listeners... You, you mean our best friends and our moms who we make uh-huh, listen to this? Our moms. Um, if you guys have any good questions for us, shoot us a DM. DM us, girls I'm a, and boys and gender-fluid individuals. Yeah. I was going to say individs, but I was individs. like, that, was, that wasn't going to roll off the tongue quite right. Anyone who has any good icebreaker questions can DM us at a lightweight true crime. That's us. At Instagram. At Instagram. At Instagram. <laughs> at the Twitter. At, at the um, Facebook. Or email us at lwtruecrime at gmail.com. That's lwtruecrime at, at gmail.com. Gmail. These drinks are really good. I know. Uh-huh. I haven't really been able to drink much because they're seeds. Are you afraid that like a watermelon nope. is going to grow in your stomach? No, they're just gross. Oh, it's like a texture thing. Yeah, You're just afraid I guess of them. So. I found out I'm a super taster. What does that mean? I can taste more things than normal people. Did you find that out in a DNA kit? No, it's, I, you can't tell a DNA. Ryan's you, shaking his head because he doesn't believe me. No, because my mom learned about it and was like, okay. Apparently, there's like a list of things that super tasters have an aversion to, and I have an aversion to all of them. And my mom was like, growing up, you would never eat these things ever. Interesting. And you still don't like them. So I Googled it, and it sounds about right. Are things on the list maybe all of vegetables? Because if so, I am a super <laughs> taster. No, it's like, it's like mushrooms, broccoli. Oh, I forget what it is. There's that's interesting though. Green tea, coffee, beer. Do you not drink coffee? Uh-uh. What? I can't do it. You married her still? Wow. It tastes like dirt. Well, if you're a super taster, I mean it is. It's what was um Natalie and I always say we joke about how we're like, yeah, we really got to cut off the coffee because of our anxiety, but then there was this meme that was like hot bean water tastes like chocolate. <laughs> yes. Make me go room. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, and I know that there is um there is some kind of like genetic thing that they can test for or like likelihood of of people who when they taste cilantro it tastes like soap. Yeah. Cilantro's on the list, but it doesn't it, I don't think it's connected to the soap thing. That's interesting. Um well, I 
just thought of a what's the detox question one, one of the many questions that i have stuck in my head from like college is, mm-hmm. what's your myers-briggs oh my gosh <laughs> because it is the law yeah. um my myers-briggs i am an enfj um so extrovert intuitive feeler and judge mental <laughs> i don't think it's judgmental, judgmental. I, think I think it's, it's just like judger Judger, what yeah. are you? I'm an INTJ. INTJ. So, so the only things we have in common are the N and the J. Yeah. You're introverted. Intuitive. Oh, that was the cat. Yeah. I was like, is that <laughs> does he already know how to open? Oh, I'm sorry. We'll beep that out. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, the man who rents your spare room. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Figured out how to use a door. <laughs> Climb out of his crib. <laughs> Walk. It's really weird that you make your renter sleep in a crib. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, for safety and stuff. So, okay, you're an INTJ. I'm an INTJ. Interesting. Yeah. I can see that. I think Steve Jobs was an INTJ. Oh, wow. Humble brag. Rye, what are you? Yeah. I'm an ENTJ. An ENTJ. I yeah. can see that. Both T's. All right, well, this mm-hmm. has been great. I for sure have the zaps, just in case anyone was curious. <laughs> you figured it I out? I figured it out. It's fine. We're all going to be okay. I hate, I hate the zaps. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.